Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 62. Famous quotes that shape our investing philosophy. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. This week, we're going to have a conversation around famous quotes and how they actually shaped our investment philosophy. Our news of the week will involve football. We'll also talk about the Fed and their stance on interest hikes. We'll review the top five positions from one of our listeners. We'll answer some questions from the community. And last but not least, European DJ will give his stock pick of the week. It's slightly different to what you're used to before, so stay tuned for that. As always, if you never want to miss a show, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter or your favorite podcast player. See you on the inside. Hey, hey, European DJ. Long time no speak. How how have you been? I've been good. Thank you for asking. Um... It's been, uh, you know, the stock market kept on going. There was a lot going on again in the news. Yeah, but how about yourself? Yeah, I've been, I've been kept quite busy. I, I've, I've told you before, I got a promotion at work, but with promotions come longer hours and and more responsibility. So I, I haven't, I have been non-existent in the last two weeks. So I'm actually glad we had a little break last week. Um, I know we had dividend athletes part two. If we didn't have that, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to, to do the podcast anyway. So it worked out quite well. But I'm looking forward to this week's show and and getting back into into the world of dividend investing. Yeah. So I mean, maybe it's also good to to mention to you because what you are also missing out on based on last week is that our Facebook uh, page started to grow a bit. So more and more people are starting to find us on Facebook. So to everyone uh, who's listening that has not signed up yet on uh, to our Facebook page, just look up uh, Dividend Talk, follow the page, but there's also a Facebook group linked to it. So if you go to the Dividend Talk group and, and, and sign up yourself there, then that's the place where we will also be asking questions going forward, like uh, top five portfolio positions or questions from the podcast. Um, but also just general engagement. If you have any questions for us, just uh, register yourself to that Facebook group and then we you can directly engage with us. I know we are a lot active on Twitter, but um, we will be more and more active also on uh, Facebook. Nice. So we're going to talk a little bit about the news. I believe there's something with the Fed and interest rates. This seems to be popping up quite a bit, doesn't it, about the Fed and, and what they're actually going to do with these interest rates well yeah so so yesterday uh jerome powell mentioned that they will start tapering by the end of the year but not yet rating the uh raising the interest hikes and for me this is really interesting because i felt like they threw so much money last year at this pandemic um you know all, all what they did in america with with almost this uh, how is it uh, universal basic income that they effectively supply to everyone and i i really felt that this that this was driving a lot of the uptick in the and and the rebounds that we saw in the stock market as well all this cash flow coming into people's hands that they deployed to the stock market but at the same time fed was just buying up everything they could and what they're saying is that they are going to uh, gradually slow that down now and this is really interesting for me because it will be um, the first time 
since the pandemic that we will see if the um, if the stock market can at least live a little bit on its own because for me it's not a free market at the moment right it's it's we talk a lot uh, sometimes about china and uh, communism if you think about what the fed is doing it just put uh, i said uh, yeah just put a put option below the market that that by buying everything it's like a giant stock buyback uh, almost you could consider it so there's a floor in the stock market because of that. So what they're t telling us now is that they're going to gradually take that floor away from the stock market. That's how I look at it. So I'm, I'll be really curious to see if the uh, addicted people can now um, uh, live on their own a little bit, right? And that's why I wouldn't be surprised if this starts happening and it hits also the news that we will see a small correction. I don't think anything big yet because there's still too much uh, governmental support there in the stock market but uh, it will be interesting to see if it creates some volatility there and, you know volatility is our friend so <laughs> we like volatility yeah we, we, I, I can certainly see that the sentiment is starting to change on on twitter there's there's a lot more noise about stocks being overvalued and and at the same time if the fed are starting to take away this floor we we, we should definitely see some sort of request correction I, I would expect to see it but we know i've been wrong numerous numerous times and, and the opposite has yeah. happened i think you posted something on twitter we've reached is it 52 all-time highs this year alone and yeah. um, it's yeah. it's not a record i know i know we've hit 77 in one year before but it, it certainly shows you how how strong the market has been and and i mean who knows what what's going to happen but it's something obviously to keep an eye on and, and look the fed have everything in their control at the moment so us europeans need to need to keep an eye on them across across the water exactly and and you know what what we always say right if america sneezes then europe gets a cold so <laughs> it's probably the same here again <laughs> hopefully they're wearing a mask and we don't get a cold too bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but the, the next one is maybe a little bit more uh, also for some of our listeners. Manchester United bought Ronaldo from Juventus. Now, uh, we know you're also supporting the Reds. I mean, other color of red. So what are your thoughts about this? Uh, I, I mean, he's he's 36, I think, is he? He's in, he's yeah. in the twilight years. I watched him at the Euros. Yes, he was the top goal scorer, and he's a fantastic, fantastic player. But he, he's not the player he was. He doesn't have the legs. His, his game has changed. I honestly think Manchester United need don't need attackers. They have plenty of attackers. So uh, they're they're a good team. They'll be up there for the title, but they're not going to win anything. Win anything. And, and Ronaldo doesn't change that for me. He's just going down a, a shitload of money, and and be on his way in two years. I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's something for the future. They're trying to to win something now. Um, I don't think they're thinking of the future with something like this. And and look, fair play to them. Um, like look at PSG with Messi and and all the players they brought in. They haven't played yet, so yeah. let's let's see how much game time he actually actually gets. Well, that, what I like about this move is that um, I always appreciate it when homegrown players which Ronaldo kind of is for Manchester United return home after their career and this is how I see yeah. it and he still returns home as a big star and that's what I really like about this so I hope that he can be an example of some of the talents at Manchester United that are maybe missing leadership because after gigs there's not really been a leader okay maybe uh, this this guy from Sweden uh, Ibrahim what's his name Ibrahimovic but there's never been really a leader. So hopefully he brings in a little bit of leadership there. But uh, like I mentioned also earlier, like 
for me, there's also the classic uh, Buffett investment, right? Uh, a cigarette butt acquisition and, and trying to get the last puff out of it. Yeah. This is also Ronaldo for Manchester United. So um, I hope they will sell a lot of jerseys and that they earn some of this salary back. <laughs> no, no, I don't want that. But <laughs> I, what, what I have to say is that I'm I'm glad he didn't go to Manchester City. I mean, yeah, he's 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 a Manchester United icon. He's a legend. I mean, you risk losing all that for money by going to because money is not an option for him. He do, he doesn't he doesn't yeah. need the money. He could have easily went to. Paris Saint-Germain or, or numerous other clubs and got a lot of money to go to your biggest rivals in the same city it would have been horrendous yeah. for him I think so mm -hmm. I'm glad he didn't go there from a professional standpoint um, but look I don't really like Manchester United so that's about as far as you're going to get from me <laughs> Okay, great then. So let's switch quickly from this topic before you get annoyed. <laughs> um, hey, today is um, today we have a little bit of a different kind of topic than normally because we had all the violence of earnings season uh, in the last few podcasts. And today I really thought it's good to take a step back a little bit and look at our investment philosophy and where it originates from. And I don't know if you're like me, I've been reading a lot of books in my early days uh, before, when I really started to shape myself as an investor. And there are always these uh, investor quotes that stuck with me that really made me think, wonder, ponder about things. And they've really shaped my investing philosophy. And I, I took away the other day from you that's kind of similar. So today I would like to just uh, discuss some of those quotes and why, why they made such an impact uh, to you and to my investment style and, and maybe with some examples. So yep. um, I know we have uh, prepared this a little bit from that point of view. And the the interesting one that um, one of the things that you selected out there is the time to buy is when there is blood in the streets from Baron Rothschild. Could you elaborate a little bit on on why why this this quote uh, is a bit at, at your heart? Let's say as an investor. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 something that I tend to follow as as an investor and as a person, I suppose sometimes because I'm, I'm I'm not usually one to follow crowd I, I feel if everyone is doing something it's it's not always a good it's not always a good idea and we've seen this in in numerous different occasions and and even growing up always been like that like I, I was with a group of friends they've all did substances and stuff that that are not good for you I've always stayed away from that because because in my head I'm like I, I'm my own person and I, I stick to that from an investing philosophy and usually you'll see that with with some of the companies by like Walgreens for example I bought them when everybody's saying, nope, don't buy them, stay away from them. Did the same at Cisco, Intel to a degree, even though I've later sold them at a, at a higher price. And and usually lots of people get uh, fearful uh, way too easy. And we, we look at Ali, Alibaba right now at the moment, right? And and I have to give a disclaimer here. I, I know I said on this show about four weeks ago I, I wouldn't buy Alibaba. But I think they've dropped so much in price at nearly fifty over nearly fifty percent, I think, since their all-time highs. I bought twenty shares of them um this week around 150 dollars uh, I bought them. And and my thinking here is that what has changed in their fundamentals? Yes, I know, I know, I know China poses a risk, but did they pose that much of a risk that it, it warrants a fifty percent drop drop in price? So people are scrambling, they're selling, and I'm thinking, okay, the risk. And reward here is suits my tolerance first of all and i think that the reward outweighs the risk so while other people are selling 
I'm on the buying. So that's kind of a, a philosophy that always resonates with me. I, I, I always look at companies. Do I see has anything changed? Do I see future growth? Do I see something in them that that has changed, or can they actually propel? And I will. I'm I'm happy to buy while while others are are selling. So the coronavirus was another good one, I think. And, yes, and, definitely. And, and we have said that that we will buy when it dips. And I think it's easy for an investor to say that, but it's actually when it happens, it's it's not as easy. And that's another good time that that I can that I can give as an example that I will that I bought while others were, were selling. And is this also um, this, this? Let's say this being different than others and looking at other things. Is this also why you're a dividend investor? Because what stuck with me from Ian Lopuk uh, when we had him on the show is like dividend investing is trying to beat the system. And that also, although he's not a famous investor yet, maybe uh, that there are many books written about it. But he's a he's a YouTube star, so to say. And it really stuck with me as well. Like, yes, that's true. I'm also trying to beat the system. Yeah, because the whole system is rigged against early retirement. Yeah, they, yeah. they need us to work till 67. And and do you know what? It's it probably subconsciously is. And within Ireland, and you notice that dividend investing mm -hmm. is not isn't is yeah. not mainstream over here. So I'm I'm kind of out in the loop here. There's there's a small niche of us that that do that. So that's probably something like psychology as well where everybody's buying houses over here everybody's in the end of index funds over here and i'm like no that there's a different way not may may not be a better way but there's certainly a different way and, and a way that suits me a lot better than than those and that's why dividend investing is is at my heart cool so so maybe i might pick pick one from you um i see you have quite a few but one that I would like you to talk about is in the short run, the market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it is a weighing machine by Benjamin Graham. Why, why, why does that trigger you? Um, I had to learn this one and I only started to understand it later. But why it triggered in me, it's a little bit similar to what you just said. It's not necessarily about blood in the streets, but I'm, I'm, so I'm a dividend growth investor as a primary investment philosophy, but I'm also strongly uh, attached to value investing. And for me, this is probably more like even a value investor's quote. What I've noticed is that if I do my due diligence and my analysis, there comes something out of it that tells me, okay, this is approximately the range of value of a stock. And then I look at what the stock is trading and I think like, what am I missing? What is wrong? And I start looking uh, maybe at the risks that are being addressed elsewhere. And I think like, I don't see these risks. But what's happening all the time is then that, uh, for instance, think about Danone last year. Yeah, it went all the way to the, to even to the mid 40s. Um, it has been trading in the low 50s for a long time. And I thought like, well, the only thing that's really an issue here is the water business. But it got hammered and hammered the stock continuously for a long time. But you know the the earnings and such they tell me a different story and the and the earnings power the underlying earnings power and that's why this this uh, quote uh, resonates a lot with me because from a value investing point of view i had the same with microsoft in the beginning or with apple uh, apple was trading at 13 everyone said it was dead but i was looking at the numbers and I was looking around me and thought, no, it's not dead. It's blooming. And the service, uh, um, services that they are selling, it was trading at 13. And I felt like, what am I missing? What is wrong? 
So this quote, from this quote, it really reminds myself like, okay, and within the first year, you will pro it might be that nothing happens and that you feel like this, this stranger, that, that you are all the time doubting yourself. But in the long run, it's really a waiting machine. And that's what I've been learning over time, that suddenly you get those pops on the earnings that they suddenly pop up 10, 15%. And that's where your validation comes from. Um, you might have had it right. So it's more related to value investing, but um, it makes me always feel good that after one or two years, it finally comes. And then you still get your 25% annual growth or something like that on these stocks. Mm. I think I think Apple and Microsoft are two that kind of spring to mind when I when I think of something like this. So I remember you speaking about Apple. I believe the iPhone was 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 dead, or or so people thought, yeah. and they were starting to sell off. Um, and I remember you saying that nothing has has changed. They're still selling millions and millions of these units and releasing new units, and and now look at Apple. So it is it certainly correct that in in the short term. It is certainly a voting machine. I'll go back to Alibaba. That's that's yeah. that's that's what's happening right now at the moment. You go back 10, 15, 20 weeks ago, the sentiment about Alibaba was a lot different. They were up around three hundred dollars, and everybody yeah. was screaming, "Boy, boy, boy!" We have some some turbulence from China, and those same people are now screaming, "Sell!" So, it's, yeah, it's it is a voting machine. It's like a popularity contest sometimes, and sometimes yeah. you are, are not so popular, but. In the long run, you graduate, go to college, and become smarter than these people and earn more money. So you don't need to be popular <laughs> in high school. So exactly, exactly. And and maybe this then is also a quote um, I said um, that, that that you mentioned. And it's it's far better to buy a wonderful business at a fair price than a fair business at a wonderful price. From Warren Buffett, is this also related to it? Yeah, I, I mean, you can tie a lot of quotes in together can't you they all yeah. have a similar similar team on this and uh, look i suppose we we want as an investor you want to make money you want to maximize your returns we focus on cash flow but you still all always want price appreciation as well if you buy a company that's completely overvalued and that's why i'm struggling at the moment i'm looking at companies that are 32 times earnings where does that go from there I can only see down. I mean, I can't. I can't see earnings going to fifty to hundred and sustain. So I can't see the growth. So for me, I think it's it's. I mean, there's lots of lots of wonderful companies out there that we know, but their earnings are just too high. I I would love to own Visa. I would love to own Apple at the moment. I would love to own loads and loads of different companies, but I just can't buy these companies right now because they're not at a fair value. And maybe I'm I'm a little bit like you value invest i think dividend investing and value investing are kind of hand in hand aren't they really you 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 want to buy companies that are at least at fair value you don't want to be overpaying yeah. you want to make as much money as you can you from, need your yields exactly but you, you want to make as much money as you can from from dividends and also from from price appreciation so i i think i think a lot of these are intertwined i mean you have price is what you pay value is what you get again warren buffett that ties into the exact same mold, I think, as as previous two quotes. But but there is a difference here that I had to learn because I would argue that I made several mistakes in the past because I was looking at cheapness, yeah, at mediocre business. And for me, Tupperware is a good example. Tupperware for me, by all metrics, was undervalued at the time. But it was it was just a broken company. And I I, I was thinking, okay, we had in Europe and Germany all these Tupperware parties. 
I mean, people in Asia must love it. And I really bought into the story of the CEO, who uh, Ricky Goings, I think his name was. And, you know, for me, this associates me now uh, with a charlatan uh, name. But for me, it was a typical example of an um, undervalued company with poor to mediocre business quality. So what I had to learn to was focus much more on the underlying quality of the business and then not be too tough on the on the margin of safety that I need. Because without that learning, I would have never bought Microsoft and Apple. Yeah, no. Because usually you get them at... Okay, Apple was a bit different. That was clearly undervalued. But for me, when I started accumulating Microsoft, it was fair value um, at the time. So there has been a shift. And, and it's funny because when I read uh, Warren Buffett's uh, biography, he mentioned actually going through the exact learning. And that's something he had to learn from Charlie Munger. I had to learn it from Warren Buffett by studying his material. Uh, but still, it, it had a time lag of a year before I really started to understand what that was when I analyzed my failures. Yeah. And, but, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the one of the hardest elements for investors. There's, there's a difference in cheapness and value and and just because exactly a, a, just because a, cho a, a stock has a cheap price doesn't mean it's value i mean it could be a declining business we look at ibm yeah. for example yeah yeah we could look at ibm and say oh they look cheap compared to, to where they are before yes they look cheap but it's a declining business I, I don't i don't see that as value because i don't see where the value is going to come in yeah. their future prospects so that that's a key difference and i think i think one of the best things for investors to do is to write down what the key drivers for growth will be yeah is there anything is there anything what what is actually going to grow them and yeah. then decide then if if you're willing to pay the price for that probably in if i would have been in my first year of dividend growth investing i would have bought ibm now yes yes and and probably me too me too i mean look on on paper let's 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 look at it they they have a increase in history of uh, not 20, yeah, yeah. 20, 20 years i mean their last one was was good their earnings always seem positive and upbeat they know how to yeah. manipulate the numbers whereas the the top figures look good but you dig deep underlying and, and they look bad so it's rotten yeah you you can see why why investors get sucked into that and they're a dividend aristocrat that's where new investors always start the new dividend investors always start and you you see that they're a name that everybody will know it's so easy to get sucked into that yeah well maybe there's still like um there's still one that i wanted to really call out and that's the one from chamat palihapitiya and he mentions uh, good investors have to choose how to allocate their mind share with the precious capital they have this one resonates so much with me um for the one simple reason I often get a lot of questions about what I think about certain stocks. And my most of the time, my answer is, I don't know. I don't have studied it. I haven't studied it. And this is also something that I find really important to myself. I know that I have, let's say, uh, six hours per week to study companies. So I need to spend that time really, really wisely. And and, and going over in this six hours, oh, trying to understand eight companies, doesn't really give me give me a lot so i rather put this six hours into one single company than 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 putting on on a lot of different things 
and this quote has really struck me when I heard it from him as something like, I should probably even need to double, double down on it. I want to understand what businesses I own initially, because then later when I see the quarterly findings and to your points, I've got my notes on what I, during my analysis, the one, two, three items I would need to track. And then I can just on a quarterly basis track them. And if it goes according uh, to my thoughts, then I'm good. If not, I will probably need to dive a little bit deeper because it saves me so much time uh, later. So I kind of automate my own analysis after that. So being really uh, conscious of how you allocate your time is really important for me because otherwise I could probably just better um, uh, purchase ETFs. Yeah, but we, we've put ourselves in that position by running a blog, running a podcast around dividend stocks. So so people are naturally, and, and quite rightly so, are going to ask us questions about lots and lots of different companies and probably would expect us to know to know the answer. So, for example, we, we got a listener question in today about car, um, and we've both decided to push that out to next week because we don't know that company well enough to give to give a, an opinion on it right now. We, we just don't know. It's not it's not possible to know every single company. Yeah. But it is nice that people ask us these questions because now we get to go out and we get to look at a company. Exactly. We might find something new. Um, we had Dividend Athlete on last week and he gave us a really, really great stock pick, DIC Assets. I've been looking into them a little bit and I'm probably going to buy a little bit of them. On my own, I would never have found that company and I never would have yeah. invested in that type of company. So it is... It is nice that people ask. I, I won't always know the answer, and I'm not going to, to bullshit anyone and say, yes, I know this, I know this, and, and give some fairy answer about them. So yeah. I'm like you. I have, a, I, have a, I have a small amount of time. It's getting a lot smaller. So I like to just compress on my own companies first, and then when people come with interesting ones, start to build up knowledge gradually, gradually on them. Yeah, no, and that makes sense what you say. And look, if if I study one company every one or two weeks, let's say two weeks, I'm still studying like 25 companies per year. Do that over six years of investing. You build up quite a knowledge base around companies, right? And um, including even the listener question because yeah, we, we don't just give any answer. We always do our homework first. Yeah. And and what about, what about from Sir John Templeton? This time... It's different. Um, yeah, uh, when I hear that, I, I tend to agree with Sir John Templeton that it isn't different. It might be different momentarily because of the sentiment or let's say like that stock market is overvalued. And we would say, uh, but this time it's different. We heard that also compared to the stock uh, bubble in 2000 with the tech stocks. People say, ah, oh, this time it's different because now there are real earnings uh, below it. Well, maybe, maybe that's true. I think most of the people that give me that answer uh, with, were, were kids at the time. Yep. So they have not lived through that period. Secondly, it's not necessarily the earnings that people refer to. It's the valuations that people refer to. Look at Lemonade, this insurance business. Where is it now? Yeah, there, there, there. Look at look at Wirecards. Yeah. There is so much in this uh, in the stock market that's just wrong. That I totally don't believe it's different. Every crisis has its own narrative. Afterwards, like the global financial crisis, nobody knew. Probably, let's say. 99.9% didn't know about the credit swaps and everything that was going with these uh, mortgages. So it all gets the same narrative. But 
for me, there's just one simple reason why the stock market is so high, and that's because it's a government-controlled stock market at the moment. As soon as the government cannot control it anymore, I think shit will hit the fan. And then we will say afterwards that this time was not different. <laughs> I, I actually learned this the hard way through crypto investing. And, and I know mm. I spoke before that 2017 and, and that big run-up at the time, Bitcoin, I was involved. I had XRP, which, which locally I got out of. But I took some of that money, and I don't think I've said this before, and, and I put it into a company. A company called Tron, right? And it was owned by Justin Son, who was a Chinese guru who was going to actually make us all millionaires. And like a lot of people at that time, we were greedy. We were putting money in, we were expecting everything to, to just 10x the whole time. And that was one thing that was said an awful lot. So every token or every kind of own currency had its own group that were bad mountain other groups and stating why okay this time is different than this we're going to we're going to explode we're just waiting for this to happen things that happened what they said but it never exploded and this went on for about two years i was in another one called specter so specter and tron and i was bag holders on board and the price went nowhere but down so i learned that really the hard way like this time is different it never really is history <laughs> history is always repeated and it, it as you said it may not be instantaneous but there's always cycles and, and you will get caught up. And I think investors and people in general, greed is, is such a hard emotion to overcome. And I think that's yeah. the failure of, of most most people. They want the easy money. They want to get rich quicker. They want to reach financial yeah. independence quicker. But I think the key yeah. thing is to have a plan, stick to that plan. If, if it takes 10 years, stick it out 10 years and, and try not deviate from it. But certainly have a look at history because you'll be surprised how often that it, that it does repeat well then in that case we cannot better close this segment than to look at howard mark's um, uh, quote because he said there are old investors and there are bold investors but there are no old bold investors i think it sums it up just what you what you said yeah Although Warren Buffett is an old bold investor, <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> literally maybe, <laughs> literally yeah. But yeah. no, I, I I think I think he's right, and and I suppose risk tolerance is key here. I mean, yeah. as as you're younger, take all the risks you want in the world. You you have lots of earning potential, but as as you get older, you you start to learn that those that earning potential will will dwindle. If you're in a nine to five job, for example, the, the older you get, the the less employable mm. you you might be so your risk tolerance has to has to change and that's probably why dividend investing suits probably an older generation rather than than someone in their, their early teens or early 20s yeah definitely okay uh, this was really interesting for me uh emf uh also nice to talk about this topic uh with you Okay, so let's close this segment down and let's go to the portfolio review, the new segment that we started in the in this show with Dividend Athlete. And there was um, Ritz Wildevank. Um, I'm not, not sure where he is from, but he asked us uh, to actually review his portfolio. So um, what I will explain now is his top five holdings with the percentage allocation and what his portfolio goal is. So his top five is Munich Reichversicherung. It's a 10% portfolio holding. The second one is Flow Traders, which is an 8% portfolio holding. 
The third one is Novo Nordisk, which is a 7% portfolio uh, holding. The fourth one is SSE uh, PLC and Energy Company from the from the UK with 6%. And then the fifth one is Dover uh, Corporation, also with 6%. I believe this gives us the total of, what is it, 36 or 38%, uh, 37% of of his to- top yeah. five of his complete portfolio and his big goal portfolio goal is a growth of 20 percent per year what are your thoughts on this portfolio my 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 first thought when i saw that goal was wow that's that's a quite lofty lofty goal 20 20 per year and looking at what he said afterwards that he's quite worried about potential significant pullbacks um I think it's clear that he's maybe looking for capital appreciation here more so than dividends. I don't think he's he's expecting twenty percent from from dividends. Or if I'm wrong, let me know. Looking at those companies, I I don't see twenty percent per year coming from those companies in 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 those. There are some quite nice companies, so I I do like all those companies. I I don't know Dover too much. Um, I had a little look as as we we're going there an industrial company which. I have no industrial companies in my portfolio, so I, I might might look them up. But certainly the rest of the companies, flow traders, I had in my portfolio. I typically buy buy them come before dividend, and I don't hold them long term. But they are a good company when there is volatility in the markets. Um, as Rich said, he's expecting a significant pullback. So that will certainly benefit them. They had a huge dividend yield last year. It was 18%. But if you look at their dividend history, it's it's scattered. It's not always 18%. Sometimes it could be as low as 1% or 2%. So it's it's something to keep an eye on if you're if you're expecting increases in, in dividends. Nova Nord- Nordisk are a great company. We've spoke about them numerous times. SSE is, is an interesting one. It's a utility company from the UK. Or a, not a utility, energy company. Um, and it's a company that I've heard quite a lot about it five percent yield pe ratio is a little bit high at 17 but i think it's a quality quality company i was just checking their their net earnings and, and stuff has been rising over the last five years so they're obviously doing something right overall the, the structure of this is far different than the typical one we've seen over the last couple of times we, we've done this lots of people have defensive defensive portfolios myself included this is certainly not a defensive portfolio and we can see that he's he's out there to try and get his his 20 percent per year uh, looking at the dividend yields here and they're a mix he's, he's certainly not yield chasing so which is which is good i i i feared when I, when i saw that goal somebody might automatically go for high yield companies he has a, a nice, i think a nice mix here we know flow traders will will fluctuate but other than that, is his average yield is about three percent on on those companies. So, I think it's I think it's an it's a nice portfolio. I'm just concerned about the ambition of twenty percent per year. If that's if that's purely from looking from growth without adding money to it, it's it's quite lofty, and might I don't know promote bad decisions and and chasing companies maybe that that you don't need. Yeah, I think. I mean, if I look at top five, I really, really appreciate that this is something different than we yeah. see. And of course, I love his number one position, the insurance company. I don't think that this insurance company will ever give 20% growth unless you're a pure um, investor for capital appreciation because it's a really slow-growing company and it's not a front leader in digital transformation in the insurance industry. 
Um, Novo Nordisk is actually the only company that I could imagine growing at such a rate, but then it needs to start outperform themselves going forward based on historical norms. But and they have a PE ratio of thirty two, I think, from from Morningstar, which is yes, two. yes. But I don't know when 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 um, when Ritz started investing in here. Maybe yeah. he, he he bought it at four hundred. Well, it's now at six hundred. Then he clearly got already his fifty percent gain here. Yeah. So, um, but I think Novo has as the one. That comes closest to my mind with such earnings potential. And I'm talking then about earnings growth here of 20% per year. Um, what also really what I wanted to give Ritz some feedback on is he mentioned that he has only half of his net worth currently in the markets because he is afraid of a potential pullback. And here I would like to share something because I had a war chest for a long time. I still have it a bit. But the first time when there was a dip, you know, it's not easy then to pull your war chest and go all in. And I think what my recommendation would be to Ritz is to study the study market corrections, please. Uh, take some time to to study what happened in 2008 and 2009. Study what happened during the pandemic. And, and start looking in the theory of, uh, um, I think, Ken Fisher about the falling knife uh, principle. Because it's really, really hard under fear to, to, to double down on companies. You need to have a lot of cold blood and conviction in what you're buying. So my recommendation would be is do your homework now to prepare a list of the companies you really, really want to have at, at, at any cost that you know also are out of the blast zone during um, uh, a market crash. So it is clear for me, for instance, during a pandemic, if nobody's flying, you don't want airlines you don't want cruise ships during the financial crisis, great financial recession. You didn't want to own banks and everything, anything that comes close to it. But then focus on the Microsoft or the other companies that you know will are out of the blast zone. But please study that now because I've heard people in the past saying, I've got a, a war chest. I've got money on the side. And they were scared to put the money in during the last pandemic. And in that case, I would really say stick to the, and that's my philosophy then, stick to the, um, um, time in the market beats timing the market principle. So that's the only really uh, feedback I wanted to give here on that quote. Because portfolio-wise in top five, I would still uh, say, you know, think about companies like Home Depot, Starbucks here as well when the time is right. Um, clearly, for instance, Starbucks is definitely overvalued for me. I also don't like their balance sheet too much. But this is a company that can still grow earnings with 20%. Per year. I mean, if you go to Europe, they are only mainly in the big cities. That's not like in America. There's no Starbucks on any cor corner yet. There, I mean, we have three, four McDonald's in the neighborhood here. There's no Starbucks in the neighborhood. So from a penetration point of view, Starbucks has still two decades of growth ahead of them, in my opinion. Focus a bit more on those companies, but um, I, I do assume that the accumulation of the current top five is a result of the value valuations that we have seen probably in the last two two years yeah. so yeah. be prepared for a stock market crash then we're on the team of um famous investing quotes that inspire us and when yeah. i heard you talking there it reminded me of one from peter lynch which he said far more money has been lost by investors preparing for correction than has been lost in the corrections themselves and i don't know how true that is and, and it could be wrong but i mean there is a certain sentiment to take from that and um, 
I have both said, well, I have said, I think since the beginning of this podcast, we are now 62 episodes a year, nearly a year and a bit in. I've been waiting for a correction. And if I had a sat by and, and not bought anything, I would have I would have missed out on huge gains, particularly the likes of Microsoft and, and Walgreens and companies like that. So it's 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 very hard. I, I, I get it. It's it's very hard to to invest in all time highs. I think the dividend guy, he's a Canadian blogger. Um, mm-hmm. he had a similar story where he took out money and he invested in 2018 when a similar sentiment was there and and he seems to be doing quite well so maybe reach out to him and and read his story and and see how you feel and take it obviously don't invest it all in one go but just as as european dj said is build up your your foundation companies and maybe just start putting in a little bit of extra time into those but i i completely understand I, I have a similar mindset to, to you. It's just I'm sticking. I have my plan of investing every month, so I, I stick to that. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I, I'm I'm spending everything I can based on my monthly cash flow, but I'm also withdrawing from my war chest because my I don't, in my opinion, I need a really really small war chest, like maybe five percent. That's it for those occasions because for the rest, the money is just not having any return, and it's been eaten away in the last six years. Yeah, really simple. Hey, thanks, Ritz, for having the courage also to share your uh, top five portfolio. If anyone is interested for next week, uh, please come to the Dividend Talk Facebook group, share your top five, and uh, you have a high likelihood that we will uh, discuss it in the upcoming uh, in the upcoming Dividend Talk. So maybe let's go then now to the next session. section. It's the listeners' questions. We will run a little bit faster through it uh, probably than usual because of uh, the timing of the podcast as well. So Phil's first question is about insider trading. So EMF, do you look up insider transactions when you analyze stocks? And if yes, what was an example that surprised you recently? No, not not particularly. I I, I don't really look up insider trading. Sometimes sometimes I will at the initial stage of of looking at a, at a company in my portfolio, but I haven't. It's not something I've looked up in in a long time. I don't pay so too much attention to it. I know you you might do. I, I, I had once, one time I paid attention to it. It was General Electric at $17 when John Flannery said, uh, no, uh, uh, started buying uh, shares with his whole board of directors and then it plunged to uh, eventually to $6. So um, I burned my fingers there. We'll never look at it again. It's not, it, it's really more like a management quality question than an insider trading question because in this case i think john flannery either he was too naive and believed in his own uh, bs or he was trying to give a market signal to pop up the prop up the share price in the hope that his options would expire positively Hmm. so i'm not looking at it anymore i don't take it into consideration at all during my analysis either i don't trust the ceos most of the times for this very good Okay, ESET has asked us, have you built up your war chest again or are you low on cash reserves? Um, he's thinking about raising his cash stash a little, but on the other hand, he's reminded of the wise words that a bubble can last longer than we can stay afloat. I think we just discussed it. So I can tell you my war chest has been way too big because I got a bonus this year that I didn't invest yet. So I need to get rid of that money now and I'm over deploying. I'm deploying now more month, more money than my monthly salary gives me at the moment in the stock market to, to slim it down. It's just too much that I have at the moment. 
my my war chest has been sincerely depleted this this week i i know i said in the dividend day chat that my car out of the blue went and just went away so we've got we've got had to buy a new car um i don't believe in loans i don't believe in any of that so we're, we're buying it purely in cash it was cash that i had earmarked for for investing but i need a car so that that comes first but i still have i still have money there but i'm i'm deploying bit by bit Okay, then the next question is from Thiago Diaz, and he says, uh, given Microsoft and other high multiple stocks have very high PE ratios, are you concerned about multiple compression in the future? Even if they make all of their growth expectations, wouldn't that result in lower compounded annual growth results returns? Yeah, he's you're, you're right, and I am concerned about it, and, and I think I've spoke. That's why I find it so hard to to invest in these high, high, high quality companies with, with earnings that are so far beyond what i'm willing to pay i mean it's 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 a tough one if it goes back to warren buffett's one isn't it price is what you pay values is what you get and if, if you're looking to to make as much money as you can and total returns buying a high multiples is is not a good idea sometimes so for me it's, uh, it's more of a question of discounted cash flow analysis and the assumptions you take so even if a company uh, has a 30 pe like microsoft had at uh, what was it at 120 dollars mm. uh, if you if you believe in the growth trajectory in the upcoming years of 30 percent and they are doing more at the moment even then that might be still a really good buy but this is not for me a dividend growth investors question this is a value investors question and here i can tell you i will not sell microsoft at all unless uh, fundamentally something gets broken in the company the one mistake i made was ma uh, selling mcdonald's at 120 dollars because i thought it was overvalued so i'm not doing this kind of stuff anymore i buy with the intention to hold which rather means that my um my portfolio has been uh, outperforming from a price appreciation compared to a dividend growth point of view and earnings growth so yes there is a bubbly thing in my portfolio as well but i focus on the dividend income and so this for me this even i'm, I'm not going even anymore through the thought process of hmm, my microsoft shares are overvalued because i don't intend to sell it's not my uh, investment investment strategy cool thanks thanks a million to all the guys for the questions i, I did mention we, we had another question on uh carrier global carr but we will do our Due diligence, due diligence on that next week and answer that. So with that said, we might move on to our stock pick of the week. And I think you're up this week, European DJ. Well, you know, uh, as we say in the Netherlands, you took the grass away from in front of my feet because my stock pick of the week is Alibaba. And um, it's not a dividend paying stock. I realize that. Um, but we're always looking for value as well. And 10% of my portfolio is in non-dividend stocks, typically more tech-related, just because sometimes um, um, I guess it belongs more in my circle of competence. So I've got Google, I've got Facebook in my in my non-dividend uh, paying part. And I added Alibaba already a few weeks ago at 210. And I've been averaging down all the way to where it's now. Every time I buy like, two three four five stocks let's say uh when it drops another five to ten percent and i mean for me alibaba is just too hard to ignore at the moment i have no doubt about their earnings power and about 
that their earnings are real yeah because that's one of the things that you hear a lot um here they've been around already for i think for 20 years under these circumstances uh, also with their listings and everything um yes chinese government is putting regulation in place which we need to discount for that's why we cannot compare baba uh, alibaba to earnings multiple of microsoft or amazon we can't mm -hmm. but having a forward earnings multiple of 16 that's what we are really talking about for a company that's growing approximately 20 to 30 percent per year they grew sales last year in 34 percent yeah that's that's just insane low for me and in my opinion um that effectively china needs to take the company out of business i'm not talking about a delisting here but out of business and i don't see this risk at all so for me, um, putting a little bit uh, of money into Alibaba at the moment to nurture my value investing is, is like really a no-brainer for me now. Um, so I, I own shares at the average price of 198 now. And if it drops back to 150, I will probably try to lower my uh, average uh, cost price in Alibaba because I believe it should be trading at least with the discount of the chinese government at around 230 240 at the moment <laughs> i i i've started to write a blog post um my my monthly review and i let you read what, what i've wrote on, on alibaba but i my my target price was 245. oh uh, so, so we're not quite, way off from each yeah, other quite quite interesting um, but I, I will sell if they get to, if they if they get to 245 that's that's a hard stop for me I'm, I'm selling at that price it's it, this so is my, not for me yeah. a buy and hold yeah so for me I would uh, sell at uh, around 300 that's my sell target here because if I sell a value stock I want to sell them when they are overvalued not at fa a fair price yeah. but like Facebook I thought originally it was 250 dollars it kept on growing I reevaluated my assessment and now it's at 300 something i still hold them because i still think it will will grow further over the over the years yeah. um might happen the same with alibaba alibaba it's not like it's fixed i i will keep on uh reviewing the annual reports and take it from there cool nice nice stock pick and nice that it's different this week from from our usual dividend companies so so with that that's the end of the show Thanks a million for all the questions, for the stock pick European DJI and to all our listeners. And we hope we see you all next week.